Hello, everybody. Welcome back to You're Wrong. Matt, what is everybody wrong about today? Well, Luciano, today we're on to season two of The Mandalorian. We're going to cover chapters nine through 12, um, give you a little bit of how much we love or hate this uh, series and season two. So I'll just jump right into chapter nine, give a brief synopsis for everybody. So in chapter nine, we come back and we see the marshal. Um, I think this is the longest episode based on the time I saw. It's, I mean, notwithstanding like eight hours of credits, sorry, eight minutes of credits, but it runs about 55 minutes. So maybe minus the eight, maybe more like 40, 49 minutes. So it's a pretty long episode. And in this episode, we get to meet Cobb Vanth, uh, played by uh, technically Timothy Oliphant, but very, very hard uh, shades of um, Pierce Brosnan. Oh, and, I never noticed. You're right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Laura actually noticed it the first time because, but, but it's like, it's, <clears throat> you can see it. Obviously, Pierce Brosnan's much older now, but if you, you pull them back a few years, when he, maybe like the Thomas Crown affair kind of just after that, it looks, it's very, very spot on. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't um, so, noticed, but you're right. Yeah. So, anyways, in this episode, we, we see who we think is potentially Boba Fett. Uh, and it turns out to be Cobb Vanth. Cobb Vanth is the marshal for a town called Mos Belko. Um, and uh, the Mando is looking for people he knows. So he actually goes to find Cobb Vanth. Uh, and there's a fun little scene where he straight up murders a bunch of people in a, what was that, like a boxing ring? Not a boxing ring. A fighting arena. Fighting arena um, to collect, get his information to go back to Tatooine, which, you know, like... Here's what I'll say about that. Um, <laughs> it's kind of annoying that in the entire galaxy, we keep going back to the same planets. But I will say this is kind of in tune with how John Favreau and Dave Filoni have built things because uh, Cobb Vanth is not just something they made up for the show. Cobb Vanth is actually was in the there's a set of three books that kind of exist between um, the uh, Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. And so he's a character that shows up in there. So they are pulling from all levels of of the Star Wars canon to, to create this. So when you're pulling an existing person, he be already exists on Tatooine. He's already wearing Mandalorian armor. You know, it kind of makes sense in, on that standpoint. So I can't knock them for going back to Tatooine in that standpoint. There's also something to be said about the fact that they want to keep to the Outer Rim, right? So like, yeah, I'm sure they're um, um, uh, like... Hundreds and hundreds of other planets, but you know what is the difference between one backwater planet and another? So fair enough, yeah. So so just to maybe finish the synopsis before we got lost completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, he gets the information to go find Cobb Vanth. You get to see um, Amy Sedaris's character, whose name escapes me. Um, uh, Pelly. Pelly, yeah. And then they're off to find this place. And when they get there, they realize that Cobb Vanth is actually pretty chill, uh, but he needs help. And uh, the help is to kill a crate dragon. No big deal. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. Nothing, no, it's pretty easy. And as it turns out, it's it's super easy. Um, they only need a whole bunch of uh, Tusken Raiders. And <laughs> to, uh, yeah, and a bunch of Banthas and mining charges, a whole whack of stuff to, to finally kill him. But uh, yeah. at the end of the day... Um, they end up being successful. Uh, Mando gets back the Mandalorian armor from Cobb Vanth. That was the trade. And uh, Mando flies off to... what? I'm trying to see here. Because where it ends up, they kill him. The town's freed. He gets the armor back. And 
he needs to find he still needs to find Mandalorians. He hasn't. Yeah, he's looking for Mandal. This is the whole like the whole first half really of the of the season is that right? So yeah, he yeah. goes he goes off to find more Mandalorians because he thought he found one, but he didn't. Right. Yeah. So he's still on the lookout. He didn't actually find a Mandalorian at the end of this episode. Uh, although, spoiler alert, uh, Boba Fett was definitely watching him, um, and we get yeah. to see Boba Fett's face. So now we know for sure that Boba Fett is on Tatooine. And I mean, we lot. see Jungle Fett's face, but I know what you mean. <laughs> he, he's a he's a clone. I know, clone dude. Copy. I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> why 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 do you have to be like this? We you know it's Boba Fett. Yeah, of course you know. And also, um, just as a side note from from this, um, I did not. I will, I will fully admit that you know when we first technically see Boba Fett in, in season one, I did not recognize like the sound of the spurs did nothing for me because I was never a huge Boba Fett fan. So like I, I was super surprised when I saw it. And I was like, what? Yeah, that's, that is a deep cut that not even I was aware of. And maybe it's because I can't hear properly, but I've never really um, conducted spur sounds to Boba Fett in any yeah. meaningful way. So yeah, apparently a lot of people thought that those spur sounds were actually Mando himself. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, anyways yeah it's like sure guys it's one of those things where when a show doesn't come out for a year you get to speculate and you go fucking crazy get lost yeah 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 yeah. so uh i first of all did not notice the episode was that long i'll be honest um it felt like a regular episode to me which i guess shows how entrenched i was when i was watching it yes um, I really like that graffiti, like just off the bat, that graffiti that, that it shows on the streets when he's walking towards the fighting arena. That is such a different thing from anything else we've seen. Now, maybe in the cartoons, there's some graffiti some here, but nothing like that. Th- like that feels like a completely different place because it's easy. Like I've seen, or I'm sure you have to have to, like we've seen a lot of different planets in in the galaxy that kind of look similar to each other almost it's a forest planet it's a sea yeah. planet it's a like and and it's hard to make especially like barren wastelands look like different barren wastelands and and even even when it's like something like ice like i would forgive people for thinking for example ilum is hot because it's like it's just an sure. ice planet right yeah yeah, exactly. not not a nice planet and ice planet. <laughs> Neither no, I, of those places no, are not nice. <laughs> there's no n anywhere in that ice. Yeah, yeah. So so I really liked the idea of having that different vibe because like why would there not be graffiti, right? I, I really like that and and after like watching the making off afterwards and finding out that a lot of those uh, that graffiti was drawn by you know. By John Favreau himself, by Dave Filoni, by you know some of the actors, and so that was that was really cool. Yeah, and it was under the direction of Dave Cho, who is a, a pretty well-known good. artist. A pretty so, good, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So like it, you know, it's fun to have everybody draw, but with the eye on making that collective look like graffiti in a world that is lived in and you know inhabited by real people who maybe don't like the Empire. Yes. Yeah. And so, like, I, I really enjoyed the episode. Uh, like, it's... At this point, you get used to the pace that they set for for the Mandalorian. It's not going to be 100% action all the time. It's going to be 
bursts of action, which I guess now that now that you mention it, I kind of did notice it was a longer episode, like subconsciously, because I almost feel like that first part with him in the arena and then the second part with him in Tatooine felt like two different episodes. Yeah, like I, I kind of forgot about that first part because it's so it, yeah. it's it's you know it's fun and I think it adds a lot to the world and it but it's a very small piece but it's easy to forget about it because you spend so much time on Tatooine, yeah, resolving the the crate dragon plotline basically. Yeah, and I and and it's 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 fun to see sort of different genre salads in in Star Wars, like this one was a very like let me go talk to this mob boss kind of deal. Yeah, they made a Tremors movie. Gore Koresh is his name. Yeah. Uh, the the Cyclops guy. And I found that it's played by John Leguizamo, or however you say his name, which is, I didn't know. Uh, Leguizamo, I think. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I enjoyed that first part just as a... St- the, okay, so the the main thing for me that, that I liked about that first part is like it's a, it's a subtle character establishing moment for, for Mando in that, you know, he, you know, they, like you said, they fight, and it's fun to see the Gamorians fight uh, with the vibro cleavers. I guess they, I guess they were, um, and you know the fight scene there, and, all, and, all, and so on and so forth. But the really important moment in that in that scene I, was at the end where he hangs Gore from from the the lamp, and it is like oh, I'm, you're not gonna die by my hands, right? And then he tells him what he wants to know, and he walks away and shoots the 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 lamp so that the beasts come in and kill him yeah that to me is like this is a man who isn't it's it's there's a you know a trope that you know good is not nice so he's a good person but he's not a nice person and that is a very good way of establishing that like you cross him you're fucked basically and i really like the way that they did that yeah like um i'm wrapping my brain around um because he this this sort of he fits the the sort of lawful neutral archetype from D very well in this it's like he has his own moral code that he follows that isn't necessarily good or bad but it's like he this guy deserves to die because he's an asshole killing mandalorians and tried to kill him so he's not gonna yeah. even though he said he would he he used a loophole to say i'm not gonna kill you by my hand to, to like not break his rules but to still make sure he died because he's a piece of shit <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, he, he mando has a he has very strong code, which we'll see throughout this episode that we're talking about. Not not the Mandalorian episode, our episode, and the next one. That you know, he, there are things to him that are more important than his code. But for now, it's very well established in the first season, and again in this episode, that he he has a code, right? So yes, let's move on because this is one scene, and we've been talking about it for a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed the whole thing with Tatooine because this is something you alluded to last time, Matt, which was that they're doing a really good job of fleshing out parts of Star Wars that is already canon from before, but that was very thin. And so we've been to Tatooine a million times in a million different shows, but it's always Moss Eisley, always. Right, and now they may okay. So there's three cities: Moss Eisley, Moss whatever the other one is, and Moss Pelgo, which is where he's going. Right, and so this is right like a very nice way of fleshing out Tatooine. If we're gonna go back there, let's flesh this out. It's not just one city in the middle of the sand. 
It's three cities in the middle of the sand, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so I really like what they did in this episode in that regard. Doing that, showing an actual crate dragon instead of a dead one behind C-3PO. Um, and it felt really like I, I wrote it down here the, the way that, that it felt for me. For me, the whole plot to kill the crate dragon is basically an MMO raid. Like they're, you know, going through the side quests to get the, you know, all of the attunements that they need to be able to do stuff. So they have to go talk to the Tusken Raiders and they flesh out the Tusken Raiders really nicely. The conversation, the way that, you know, it's not just a bunch of people in weird armor brandishing weapons and, you know, sneaking up on you when you're using binoculars, basically. Yeah. Did you enjoy that the uh, Tusken Raiders have skags from Borderlands 3 as pets? Oh shit! I didn't even notice. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, they look like Skag. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I liked like all of those. Like th- this episode was very nice in that it kind of fleshed out some background for a lot of things without being super on the nose about it. I mean, that's 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 their skill, right? That's what Dave Filoni and uh, John Favreau yeah. and hold. I, you know, I, we keep saying those two, and I want to say like. It's a proxy for everybody on, on the Star Wars team that's making Mandalorian. I don't want to. We should. I should probably stop saying those two and just say the Mandalorian team because I think it's. It's you know you're being a little, you know, throwing away everybody else's work. It's not just those two guys, but the whole team that does it really has a strong grasp of what story they want to tell. And you know, like you said, it was 55 minutes, but it didn't feel long. It felt like it was paced well. You, you were ramping up to that raid. You're going through the steps, the setup phases to attack the boss and. You know, the boss had a couple of different phrases and like any good raid, you don't want to stand in the same spot because you can get the shit poured on you, a.k.a. acid breath. <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. And then the last, the final form, when he pops his head out of the mountain, just starts spitting acid at everybody, um, was, was it almost looks like, it was a weird sort of almost like 80s toy you could have sold to kids. Where yeah. It's like. You have the mountain and you press the, the goop comes out and covers everybody. So I thought that was really fun. Um, but yeah, they did a great job. It was fun to see a piece of lore that that isn't necessarily in the movies and, and coming out of the books and, and sort of explaining Cobb Vanth in a bit more detail. The thing I really loved the most and it was such a small part is, you know, that story Cobb Vanth tells of of how what happened when the Empire fell, right? Seeing mm-hmm. seeing people watching the Death Star explode like on a, a, a hollow vid feed and then seeing the immediate reaction of the joy and then the mining collective taking over, whatever. But like it was just really cool to see what happened elsewhere at the, you know, uh, at the Battle of Endor. Well, the Battle of Endor took place in the results of that, how it affected everybody. So that's yeah, a, ma- really making cool it touch. into like a three-dimensional world versus just, like I said this before, in some of the episodes, uh, I think it was the last one, where you know it, a lot of Star Wars, by because of the pace and everything, and I'm not even just talking about the last three movies. I'm talking about in general. Right. You don't get to spend a whole lot of time fleshing out specifics. It's almost like you're walking through a, a set where if you do, like, if you take a wrong turn, you're gonna see you know all the props holding you know things in in place and that shit. And they're doing a really good job of making okay, this is not just a framing device this is a world or this is a galaxy that actually exists right and i i really like the way that they do flashbacks they don't do a lot of them in this and but when they do it's quick it's to the point it tells a story and it moves on right so i really like that like what you said you know it's nice to see okay so you know the death star explodes then what what happened then right it's not it's not just everybody hugs and everything gets well with the galaxy <laughs> right yeah Shit's, shit's still kind of fucked. It's just different people stepping in. 
So I have just two more comments. Uh, you, I'm sure you have a couple more for this episode, but mm -hmm. I have I have a question for you. Oh, okay, because I have questions for you too, but go first. Okay. Why do the Banthas in Moss Pelgo look like Jack Black? Because they do. Why a do lot. Think, why do you think they look like Jack Black? I don't know, man. It is just like when they pan the first time when they're showing the Banthas, like the very first time when he arrives in Mos Pelgo, I'm like, what the fuck? What? That's Jack Black in Bantha form. Okay. What the what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe he was their model for, for the Panthers. I don't you know. We don't know. I, I was expecting him to go, can't you see he's the man? You know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have a couple of questions for you. First, what do you think Spotchka tastes like? Because we've oh, seen it I, in a bunch of different uh, episodes and it's that bright blue. Sometimes it looks like they're like backlighting it in a way, but um Honestly, I have the same question about benta milk and, and that kind of stuff. Like, I don't like the blue milk. They did no. I don't like. I don't want to know. I think it tastes awful. That's what I'm gonna say. Why do you think it tastes awful? I don't know because it looks like it tastes awful. Yeah, but it's like it's like like it's been on every planet. It's like the interplanetary alcohol. It's it's like it's like the vodka of alcohol for Star Wars universe. So, if you don't know any better, then it's fine. Look at the chowder that that Baby Yoda. I almost said his name is not not the time yet. Look at Spoiler the, alert! That's that's the, another episode. Yeah, like no food on Star Wars is always gross. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, <laughs> almost I think, always at least. I think that it spatchka tastes like vodka with just like a really weird sea-like aftertaste. D delicious probably it gets you drunk i i think you you don't drink splotchka as much as you chew splotchka if you know what i mean yeah i mean like no one's no one's tasting it right like everybody who's taking it has been shooting it like yeah like just get get me drunk yeah maybe, maybe it's understandable maybe, if you're lucky it tastes like fireball but i think it's worse <laughs> than that um yes. second second question would you think about um cop vance riding Anakin Skywalker's pod as his uh, speeder. Oh shit! Didn't even notice. I think yeah. it's fine. Yeah. I don't. I don't think it's his. I think it's a similar one. Yeah, but he built his. Like, this is one of the things where he built his own um, from scratch. I right? mean, he built he built C3PO his pod from scratch. scratch. Listen, I have a question about that CPO thing, but I'm gonna wait till we see another C3PO style mm -hmm. bot in a later episode. Yeah, uh, that's the fourth one, I think. Anyways, um, but yeah, okay. If you're fine with it, I, I just thought it was an interesting callback. You know, it makes sense. It doesn't make sense. Who knows? Like, whatever. Like, it's not. It doesn't matter either way. It uh, it looks cool. I can say that. Yeah, it's cool. He looks cool. He's right. And I I noticed this time this time when I watched, he's riding it on the side. He's not riding on top of it, which I thought yeah. was an interesting choice. Yeah. To to build it that way. I have one more question, and we should move on because we already spent 20 minutes on this one episode, and we have three <laughs> more. But. Um, <clears throat> Again, the weird tech levels in Star Wars confuses the hell out of me because they have all the tech in the world, but no one has a fucking megaphone. They just have to keep sending sand people out to yell at the thing and get killed. Like, yeah, and no also one can talk why? Loud. Why are they sending like sacrifices to the fucking dragon? <laughs> like, I understand sending the Banta, but why send like, you know, like they yell? 
Yeah. And then they wait until the dragon is almost out to start running. I'm like, bro, yeah. what do you think is going to happen? And they specifically call it, they've been studying it for generations. And I'm like, what did you study? Did everybody die who studied it? Like, you're just getting murdered for no reason. Yeah, I, they, they said they've been studying it, not that they learned anything. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, special call out for the missile backpack that uh, Cobb Vance uses. I just like how stupid it is that he has to, like, yep. bend over to fire it. <laughs> and, and like i'm like why does he have to bend over to fire it if he does like he, he has a guidance system tied to that little i'm pr- i'm pretty sure it has to do with the toy that they put out the boba fett toy they put out and that's how it worked okay that is such a weird excuse for that it just but it's hilarious uh, it's it's hilarious and it's... and it, it pissed me off later on but then we'll talk about that later <sighs> yeah sure it <laughs> i don't think we're talking about that in this group of episodes but no no it's the next uh, episode yeah. yeah and then the other thing i really enjoyed was in mando deliberately hit his jetpack and sent him flying off at least this time it took him to safety instead of you know when boa fett got taken into a sarlacc pit so 50 50 shot on that right yeah is it in this episode that someone tries to yeah it's when he's going to mos belgo right that that they try to get baby yoda oh yeah that little i, I called that out i forgot about it but yeah they tried to <laughs> capture baby yoda and that tiny little like bounty hunter just makes some of the worst decisions anybody's <laughs> oh, ever made. Yeah, you know, I was like, okay, you want my backpack? Here you go. My jetpack? Here you go. Uh, passes a button, it just fucking goes flying up. It's so I was I was laughing out loud on that one. It yeah, was, it was, it was great. Really and, like honestly, Baby Yoda just slays through these first four episodes. Just his reactions to everything. Well, in the in the first scene when he when when uh, Mando engages the whistling birds and he like oh oh it presses the thing and closes the pod. It's, exactly it's yeah, amazing it's priceless <laughs> yeah all right we've gone way over on this one why don't you That's take okay. us into the the uh synopsis for episode two the okay passenger. so so the passenger which is chapter 10 um so right off you know in the heels of the last episode he goes back to Pelly, whatever her name is again i don't never remember the last name and uh he's like oh i still need to find mandalorians and she tells him that there is a frog lady uh, who can tell him where, or actually that she has a, a, a person that she knows that can tell him where there are more Mandalorians. And she makes it seem like she knows the, the frog lady since forever and she just met her, which is hilarious. And, yeah. <laughs> and so basically what happens is another side quest, basically, where he has to take her to the uh, Trask. Estuary Moon Trask, yep. Yes, and um, she she says you can't do this by going through hyperspace because the frog lady is taking her eggs and the eggs would die in hyperspace. So she he has to travel sublight to go from Tatooine to Trask so that the frog lady can meet her husband and they can uh, fertilize the eggs by the equinox. It's it's interesting that she says equinox because where can equinox wear? <laughs> Because, like, an equinox is, you know. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, is it equinox on Tatooine? Is it the equinox on Trask? Nobody explains it. That's fine. Nobody cares. This just, is just a reason. It's, it's just an escort mission. Let's be honest here. Yeah, it's just a different kind of mission. You're right. You're on the escort mission. And, like, yeah. honestly, if Mando knows when the equinox is, good enough for me. Yeah. And so, on their way, obviously... It doesn't go smoothly. Uh, they get intercepted by X-wings, uh, X-wing fighters uh, that recognize the ship, or, and pretend that they don't, but they obviously do. 
And because he's been, that chip has been on, you know, back in chapter six, when he, he was doing the whole springing of Quinn thing, the, the ship's signature, I guess, was on, on the uh, docking thing. It, again, Who how does technology works on this? But basically, yeah. he gets chased down by the by the X wings, and he falls on uh, on a nice planet. Do they say the name? No, they don't say the name of the planet. This is another complaint I have for this. But the, it's the same as the first season. Like they never say which planet they are, or almost never. And Why? I wish they did. I just I just I like knowing. Is just a, a, a small nitpick for me. Sure. And so they fall in there, and then they have some shenanigans with spiders. They're obviously trying to. The, the ship gets destroyed. They try. Mando tries, obviously, completely unsuccessfully to to fix the ship because there's a huge hole in the in the hull. Um, and then, as he's fixing it, the frog lady goes out because it's very cold, and she finds like a hot spring. I like, guess I guess that's what that is, or a hot lake, something like that. A sure. pond. I, I, I guess mean, it makes sense for a frog to be in a pond. I think I think it's a, a spring. Or a pond because it's not yeah. a lake. I mean, you know, lakes are larger bodies of water, right? And yeah, and 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 as they're there, um, Baby Yoda finds some weird eggs that we all think at first that are frozen, but it turn, turns out they're just frost spiders or ice spiders. And and then they they get there's this really nice, almost like horror movie scene of them running away from the spiders back to the yep. ship. Uh, and in the end, they, you know, they, they fight off the spiders as well as they can. They try to seal themselves in, uh, in the cockpit of the ship because it's the only place that can really be sealed in given what happened to the ship. And finally the X-Wings come back, they help him and everybody lives, well, not happily ever after, but almost. But they basically say, yeah, we know, we know you were there, you motherfucker. But we saw what happened, and we saw that you tried to defend our our you know officers' life there, and that you apprehended the people that were doing that. So we're gonna let you off with a strong warning. But you know, slap on the wrist, don't do that anymore. And they're off. They he he manages to be able to to airlock just the the cockpit cabin. and yeah. yeah the cabin, and they fly off to Trask. Uh, that's i guess yeah i didn't want to go too deep into the details of what happened because well you know the thing is you've gone as deep as you possibly could go into them because it's it's kind of a light episode in some ways right it is yeah but i i really enjoyed like oh it looks like it's in this episode huh because i wrote it down the the thing with the jetpack yeah, so that happens at the beginning of this episode because he's driving back after having killed yes. a great dragon because he has a big hunk of the, the dragon meat on the back of his his speeder bike. That's right. Yeah, and and the, and, and the armor. Good. But yeah, I I really enjoyed these episodes. It's this one is the closest one we have to like quote unquote a filler episode, but like filler has has a bad rap, right? It's like oh, they have no story to show that they put in filler. That's not the case here. This is this is very much to show the relationship between Mando and Baby Yoda, um, and how it's evolving from him just having this mission given to him by the armorer at the end of of season one, and him developing real like attachment and feeling towards Baby Yoda. 
right? It's and obviously Baby Yoda. I was like, I wrote it down. I was like, what a great bad idea to put a frog lady with frog eggs next to Baby Yoda, you know, in an enclosed space where nobody can run away from. What, what could possibly go wrong? You know, I'm going to defend Baby Yoda for a second. <laughs> okay, okay, go ahead. Two reasons. One, he's a baby. Two, yes. maybe if Mando fucking fed him properly, he wouldn't be jacking eggs he sees laying around on the ground. Uh, I'll give you the first one. I'm pretty sure... Baby Yoda is just a fucking troll and would eat the eggs just because he likes the taste. Yeah, but like, maybe we don't know because he's never full. He's Fair. never fed. Like, he gave him like the tiniest bowl of soup and then he gave him shit later on because the food, he's playing with his food and the food's <laughs> trying to eat his fucking face. Like, <laughs> that's later, right? But yeah. 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 <laughs> like, I honestly, I don't care why it happens. It's just so fucking hilarious because anytime the baby is alone with that like backpack pod whatever thing yeah and i'm like oh oh <laughs> oh yeah he's not he's just like his eyes are like you know the, the best example i can have is like cadbury cream eggs like yes when i see them i want to eat one and but baby Yoda's just like i gotta eat them all like he, and he presses his face against the glass <laughs> yeah. and goes like, oh <laughs> it's so great yeah i so i agree with you i think this is the slowest episode for me and and so far um but I don't think it's a bad episode. And, and like, it's all relative, right? Like to, to what's going on in, in the Mandalorian. It's a bit slower because you're, you're kind of taken off the beaten path. You're hoping to follow on your quest and you have a, you end up going on a side mission, but you're right. It's, it's, it's character building. It's story building. It's letting you understand um, the relationship between uh, baby Yoda and the Mando and, and how, how they're going to have this relationship beyond just being like, I'm not, I'm going to, take you to your family right take you to your kind and so yeah. f for that aspect it does a really good job in showing it because they're you know baby yoda's like trying to get mando's attention trying to get him to help him mando's having to be like some sort of a, a weird father figure for baby yoda telling him not to eat the stupid eggs all the time um so it's pretty effective yeah and and you know in comparison to the other episodes of last season that i said were kind of a filler episode this one is sort of like the incidental main quest that happens when you're on the way to the main quest. Yeah. It's not like he chose to go to some random ice planet and fell there or decided to land there. He was going to do the thing that he needs to do, but then something happens and then he has to have this side adventure, which feels a lot more natural to me than usually fillers. Are. That's why I didn't even call it a filler like on my notes. I was like, no, this is fun. Like it was, like you said, it was light, but it was fun. And and that frog lady is a badass. Holy shit. Like, you know, between plugging in the droid to talk to him and like chastising him for like you're not being a Mandalorian. Um, and also Misty Rosas, which is the, the actress that plays, you know, she's inside. She does the frog lady as well. Yeah, she does the frog lady. And on the first season, she does Quill, right? Yeah. She is amazing at this. Like... Uh, she has no spoken lines, right? Basically, other than when she's talking through the droid to through zero, um, and just the emotion and the expression she's able to express, just with like body language, is amazing. Yeah, Laura specifically told me to point out here that uh, she thinks Frog Lady is the best character in the Mandalorian universe. <laughs> of course, she <you> would. Yeah. <laughs> No, I agree with you. He, she's really emotive. She's really expressive. I really like how when they're running away from the spider, she goes into full frog mode to escape. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that makes sense, right? If you're a fro- if you're a frog person, you don't think you use the fastest way to run away. Like, obviously, a frog is better at running, you know, in frog form than it is yeah, at leaping, in right? Instead human of form. running, yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. Um, I, I, I will say that I find it's you know it's kind of a fun storyline for Mando not to be able to understand what she's saying, right? She clearly mm-hmm. understands him, but he can't understand her. And so I think that makes it sort of an interesting challenge to overcome in terms of how how they're gonna you know get out of the the situation of the ice planet. Yeah, yeah, and and also it's like it's cool to show that he can't just be just ultimate the ultimate badass that can deal with absolutely anything everywhere anywhere. It's like he was clearly out of his depth here because one obviously he's not a mechanic. He knows probably how to repair it but not sure. how to close a hole and he's his weapons and his like training and all of that is is you know hand to hand combat or like person against person combat i guess i, I want to say and not he's not trained to fight a huge motherfucking like colossal spider are you trained to fight a huge motherfucking colossal spider um sure okay nobody is really i i, I get what you're saying yeah i think that he might if it's it's like this. I look at it like this: If Mando knew he had to go kill a giant colossal spider, could he? And I think if he, with the right equipment, he could get it done. But that's the beauty of this: he has no equipment, right? He basically got his blaster on him. Yeah. Um, and then, like, and when we say the spider, the spiders keep growing in size, right? Which I think is hilarious. Like, they get out, they get in. Uh, it turns out Frog Lady's got a holdout blaster. She's able to shoot spider off Baby Yoda's head. And he's able to flamethrow all of these spiders and and you know close the hatch doors. And they're like, okay, good. Now we're gonna fly away, and it's gonna be shitty, but we gotta do it. And then this fucking gigantor spider drops down and just crushes the the ship. And yeah. and that's when when uh, Captain Captain Kim's convenience and Dave Filoni fly in to to save the day. <laughs> yeah, it's from what I understand. There's like several ages of, of spiders there and you know obviously the big one's the mom the nasty mom and we thought he killed her back when he was running away i guess he didn't right he threw the the, the explosive detonators and yeah that, yeah that didn't quite that was dead but, but anyway i like i think it's a it's a fun episode i agree it's a little it's not slow but it's a little like off the deep end more than the rest of the other ones because this is a lot more driven as a season than season one it well listen it's it's a classic cops picking on just a mandalorian trying to mind his own business flying through space you know it's just they're just gonna drive up on him. It's like oh you got a nice ship there uh you got your transponder code on let me just see your license and id type thing and then all of a sudden it's like wait a second a mando flying an old razor crest that sounds like trouble and they do the one more thing and then all of a sudden the x-wings lock into attack position and mando's like uh yeah cool just a second and he fucking just books it and like i, I couldn't help but laugh at like frog lady just like like not expecting it and yoda not expecting it and he just like just flies off into nowhere and frog lady's like flying out of her seat rolling over the co- the the cockpit as mando just tries to lose the x-wings it was really hilarious yeah it was it's like, it's like he doesn't say he just says hold on and he turns the ship upside down i'm like come on <laughs> yeah no yeah. no hope there whatsoever one one last comment i have about this episode and i'll let you get to sure. chapter 11 is i really like the way that they show 
very subtly that, you know, New Republic, they really are the good guys. They could have shot him down whenever they wanted, right? And he was, he was like, don't make us do this, Razor Crest. We don't want to do, like, just, you know, let's have a conversation here, blah, 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 blah. And they come to his rescue. Yeah. That is a really nice way, even if it's a badly acted way, because poor Dave Filoni, great director. What an awful actor he is. I really like seeing yeah. him again as Trapper Wolf. This, that's his, his name? Yeah, that's his fucking, name. Fucking Star Wars. Trapper Wolf, <laughs> yes. And uh, I like seeing him again because it, it's a nice callback to, to, the, to, the, to episode six. Sure. But um, it really shows that they're like, unlike the Empire, the Empire would just sh- have shot him down. Like, no questions asked. Right? 100%. We see, we see later just how quick to murder the Empire is. Yeah. And, and, and it really shows nicely that this is like, we're not, you know, autocrat tyrants. We're really just trying to keep the peace here. And, and I don't want to shoot a basically like a helpless ship, which is what the Razor Crest is. <laughs> it's a fucking flying 4T, like I said last time. So yeah, that's I just it's just a really nice way of shooting that without being to the look, guys, we're the good guys. I'm gonna say it. No, it's just a really nice subtle yep. way of showing it. Yeah, they do a great job and just like hinting at maybe the, you know, the rebels are trying to be better than the empire in, in yeah. terms of that. One exactly. one little question for you: What do you think all like roasting all those spiders smelled like? Oh, awful! Can you imagine? Just but they, ugh, they, but they look like hair. They, they were a delicious treat when Baby Yoda ate them. Looked like they ate, like they were like uh, you know a little crunchy caramel covered you know bite sized snack. You have maybe, problems, man. Maybe they smelled sweet. That that it was green. No, no, just no. You just, don't know just, what caramel tastes like in the Star Wars universe. I I don't think I want to know. All right, all right, fine. What's like, with you and food today? Are you? I hungry? don't know. I, listen, no, <laughs> I. I I, I didn't. I stopped at, as of episode four. I stopped asking questions about the food because no one was eating. Actually, that's not true. I have a question about the the cookies. Anyways, let's do episode three first. Those are macarons, man. But that's later. They're space cookies, also macarons. So <laughs> episode three, also known as chapter eleven, yes. is the heiress. And um, what happens in this one is uh, we see <clears throat> Frog Lady finally land on Trask with Mando, and I just loved the opening landing scene where Amanda's like, I got it. I got it. We're coming in hot. Don't worry. I got this. I'm like, perfect. Just got to ease it down. And the ship just explodes and fucking dumps into the ocean. Just, yeah. just priceless. Yes. So they land frog lady meets up with her frog husband, but for some reason I have to call Kevin. I don't know why he just looks like a Kevin. So frog lady reunites with Kevin, her husband. Um, they have a touching moment. It was really, really cute and sweet where they get to see each other. Um, and then Mando is able to to talk with them, and they, I believe, man, they direct him to a local inn where he can find more information about uh, about other Mandalorians. Um, <clears throat> this is where Baby Yoda gets a a nice soup to to drink that attacks him immediately. Um, and the Mandalorian ends up talking to, oh God, I always forget the name of these guys. Let's see if I put it in my Quarrens. Thank you. Yeah. Talks to a Quarren who who says he has a buddy who can help him. Um, and they get taken out onto a, uh, a ship in the ocean. Um, and as they're out in the ocean, these Quarrens try to kill Mandal- the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda and steal the Beskar off him. And this is when the other Mandalorians on the planet show up. And the other Mandalorians on the planet turn out to be Bo-Katan and friends. Um. This is really exciting. Uh, not Very. just 
because of the obvious callback to they come out of rebels or they come out of out of um Full Wars. I think the first time we see Bo-Katan is Rebels, but I, don't quote me on that. Yeah, I'm a little foggy on my cartoon knowledge. Because but... they, when you get the seventh season of Clone Wars, which was just on Disney Plus, she shows up again. So it's both. Yeah, um, and and what's really fun about this for me personally, and I think you feel the same way, is it's not just because Katie Sackhoff is playing Bo-Katan, and we all love Katie Sackhoff from Battlestar Galactica, but because Katie Sackhoff voiced Bo-Katan in. Yeah in the cartoons and now she gets to roll the play her in real life. And I just think, you know, it just lucks out to be a really great casting. And I, I, I remarked this to Laura when I was watching the episode and I'll say it here. It, you know, Laura asked me why, why do they cast Gina Carano as, as <laughs> uh, Cara Dune? And I was like, mm-hmm. well, you know, Gina Carano can play a, an effective uh, physical soldier type character. And she's like, well, aren't there actors like in male actors, like they buff up and they take on action roles. I'm like, yeah, there's definitely lots of them who are good actors, but they just chose a bad one for for Cara Dune for reasons that I don't understand. Well, and- let me make a parenthesis there. There is, uh, you know, for for a male actor to bulk up and, and play someone who is like a, a strong person, like, you know, Henry Cavill does this all the time. And it's, it's, it's okay. And I'm, I'm, specifically calling out the sort of like double standard that exists because if a woman says i'm going to bulk up there's like so much backlash just look at what happened to gal gadot when oh you know. yes so i think the answer to laura's question is misogyny that's why yeah but <laughs> a but little bit <laughs> uh, it's it's a lot of misogyny but it's not like there aren't women out there who are capable actors yeah, that are sure. also able to take on physical roles and that was my point before you very rudely interrupted me to make a well very valid point but nevertheless <laughs> fuck you for okay. interrupting me You're welcome. <laughs> um is is katie sackoff to me is a great example of someone who who is a pretty good actor and can really take on that physical role and sell it um and so it was nice to see see that that being played off in that manner um so off the katie sackoff hype train and back on to the uh synopsis. synopsis of the episode yeah um <laughs> They boot stomp all the corn on the ship, rescue Mando. One of the other uh, Mandalorians goes down and rescues Baby Yoda, who is about to be eaten by some sort of sea creature. Um, and then they immediately take off their helmets and freak out uh, the Mando. Yeah. Um, and then they call him a child of the watch, um, which basically is a very <laughs> religious sect of uh, Mandalorians who won't take their helmets off. So we start learning more about different types of Mandalorians. Um and he kind of rebuffs them the first time. And then all of a sudden, the Quarren's brother who died on the ship tries to avenge his stupid brother's death. And then they show up again, boot stomp the shit out of some more Quarren. Um, and finally, Mando agrees to talk to them. And, and they, they offer to give him information on, on where to find Baby Yoda's um, family if they will help, if he will help them with a little mission to uh, board a freighter and steal some shit. They board the freighter, they steal some shit. They take over the freighter. A bunch of idiot stormtroopers die. Um, Bo-Katan pulls the, uh, I'm going to alter the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further on Mandalorian, who has to take it. And then finally, she gives him the information, the very delicious and crucial information of Ahsoka Tano can help him. Yes. And she is on a different planet, uh, the forest planet of Corpus. Uh, so the Mando takes off with his just horribly repaired ship, that is full of Repaired. dangerous sea creatures and like <laughs> cables that don't make any sense. 
It looks like a fishing boat. After it is, after it's a fishing done. boat. Yeah. They, the, the fucking apparently the Mon Calamari just love fishnet everywhere. Yep. That's their motif, um, yes. and they fly off to to go to Corvus. Yes. So that's the synopsis. Um, yeah. You know, other than my my extreme love for seeing Bocatan and Katie Katie Sackoff show up, um, I really enjoyed just the cinematography. You know. We've talked about it. It's great in all aspects, but showing that freighter take off the way it's flying away just looks amazing. Uh, showing the fight scenes, um, seeing all the Mandalorians kick ass it was really fun. Uh, one question I have is uh, near the end when they're assaulting the command area, Mandalorian says, cover me. And then he goes to run to throw some detonators in to <laughs> just get shot. Stormtroopers. What coverage? There's no covers. They just shot him like 40 times. I have, I have no one could question. cover him. Yeah, well, they covered him, but what what did that do? They Nothing. should have shot back to, to prevent all the bullets. Anyways. They did once or twice. Okay. But I have another question for you that I think it's much more relevant. He was being shot at by stormtroopers, right? How did they hit him? I don't know. They're I... stormtroopers. Yeah, I was shocked too. Personally. That's non-canon. I'm Maybe... sorry. Maybe maybe this is what happened. Maybe they were actually trying to aim for everybody else behind him. Oh, and they just good accidentally point. hit him. Yeah. And also only hit him on the Beskar. Like the Beskar is there, but like there's a lot of uncovered area in his body. There is yeah. Beskar. And they hit him only on the Beskar. So you I know, guess I'll, that's par for the course. What I'll say to this is in terms of action, like just action movies in general, taking away not just the Mandalorian, normally the bad guys just miss the hero completely so at least they're trying to do their job correctly i mean yes they shouldn't just hit him in the best car but at least they're like on his body which is better than missing completely. everywhere else but his yeah. body yeah so i have a question for you so at the, in the beginning of the episode you know they're basically adrift like that was not really a fix that was like okay i will hold this so that it doesn't dismantle entirely on it sure. on its way um but so the the going into Trask, right? And um, then he says, "Okay, we don't have any guidance system, so we're gonna have to go in manually." And then he says that that's if we don't burn up on reentry. Correct. So there's a couple of problems there. Right. First of all, it's not reentry because he didn't leave from there; it's just entry. But that's just me being a pedantic castle. Yeah, it's it's planet reentry. But the other one is, how would a guidance system prevent that? Like, you would still have to go through the atmosphere. So it's, this is just one more example for me of ships working by magic and not really working by technology in Star Wars. It's just, don't ask. Just, just know that there's a way. And that's it. This time he had shields. At least, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Um <laughs> This is this is the world that brought you the I made the Kessel Rung in less than twelve parsecs. Yeah, oh, right? I mean bending like, space time is is something that Star Wars does all the time. So yeah, they don't follow the rules. Yes, um, but I agree with you. It is interesting for him. Like those things don't. They're like if you don't think about it, you're like yeah, whatever, man. Spaceship flying stuff, I get it. But it's if you think about it for like a millisecond, you're just like wait. What the, yeah. what the fuck did he just say? Is he just lying to Frog Lady? Like, does she not know how ships work? So he's just like, I can tell her whatever I want. That's what it feels like. But anyway, um, I I really love this episode. You know, um, I just 
I have one comment about Katie Sackhoff's acting is that she was like, I don't know why it was happening, but her facial expressions were too exaggerated. I don't know why it felt that way. But otherwise, like, there is nobody that could have played Bo-Katan other than her. No. Because she knows that character since the first time that it showed up. And I think I think it, you're right. I think it is Clone Wars um, first, even if it's yeah. small. Because, uh, yeah, because it shows her with Satine. And Satine doesn't show right. up on Rebels, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, you go. Yeah. Yeah. Which Satine, by the way, for those of you that don't know, is her sister, who is the Duchess of Mandalore during the Clone Wars. But yeah, different different subject. Um, I I was I almost like physically whooped when when I, when they do the entrance when they save Mando and and Baby Yoda from the quarants. And I really love the scene, like the removal, the helmet removal scene, because you can see. Like you can first of all, you can see even though you can't see his face, you can see his whole world shatter. Yeah, and and the the whole thing with you know, um, it, it's an explanation for why he he doesn't take his mask off or his sorry his uh, helmet off, but others do. And as much as it was interesting to see having known that beforehand from watching other things that have Mandalorians like Clone Wars. It must have been a really interesting scene to see for someone who just met Mandalorians in the series. And they go like, what? They're taking off their helmets? What the fuck is going on? And then the explanation of them being... Because basically she's like, yeah, you're in a cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. And it's like, this is another example of like them expanding the Star Wars world, bringing you into more of the knowledge that other people already have about the Star Wars universe without making it a thing, right? Yeah. Like, if you watched... Clone Wars, you would know that lots of Mandalorians don't wear their helmets. But if you didn't, they come in and explain it really quickly, like a hot second that, oh yeah, well we take it off. You're just a cult member. Yeah, yeah you're Sorry, you're bro. the weirdo. Like, yeah, yeah. That's what she says. Yeah. And I, I, I like he goes like where did you get this armor? Uh this armor has been in my family for three generations. Yeah. <laughs> bitch like, please. That was exactly what I was gonna say. That was a, that was a very polite bitch please. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, but yeah, the, the overall episode was fun. It's just nice to see Mandalorians, other Mandalorians kick ass and take names. Um, and, and, you know, as, as I alluded to earlier, like the Empire is out there just trying to kill everybody. And like, I, I enjoyed the, the quick, uh, hey, we trapped them. They're in the cargo control it's, room. And the yeah. guy's like, wait, where? Where? Yeah. They are, the cargo, co- <laughs> ugh. Dead. Yeah. You know, I, this is how I wrote it down. I was like, good to see that the Empire continues to be staffed by morons. Like that's what I wrote down. Cause it's like the, the guy's face, the 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 commander of the ship's face, like he takes him a second because it's so stupid he can't process it. He's like, oh, we trapped him in the cargo control area. But yeah, like, uh, and he goes like, uh-huh. Wait, you trapped them where? <laughs> it's yeah, so he, dumb. He's so excited about trapping them, and then he just like dawns on him that they're idiots. And I think this does a great it's it's a small throwaway piece, but to me, it, it helps really build out why the Empire s- seems to be so fucking incompetent everywhere they go. Because it is like, we've seen so many Star Wars movies, and we've seen so many Stormtroopers, and it's just like, why are they all so very bad at their jobs? Like, it's almost like, I don't think I need to see a, a pro-Empire TV show, but it's like, why is anybody scared of these idiots at all? <laughs> Well, it's it's something that it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because I was actually watching a video yesterday about it, some therapist, a person, uh, kind where, of. Where evaluate. are you going with this? Just shut up. 
Okay. Uh, evaluating Kylo Ren, right? And and he said one thing oh, that he God. says there is you know um, management or ruling by fear is a very good short term solution for things, but in the long run you destroy everything you want to do. And I think this is why this happens because like everybody is afraid of their superiors for the most part in the Empire. Yep. Yeah, and there's they always like it's always so many people. It just even in the Mandalorian, like the Empire just fell, right? So they're not this galactic wide force. It's you know the remnants of the Empire, the people that still want to cling to that, and they still have so much people. So you can't really train people properly, and you can't really tell me that you do a proper screening of people before you put them in positions of power. So obviously, like the guy that that traps them in the cargo area or cargo control area, he's like he's not like just a a, a runt. Like he looks like he's a an officer of some sort, right? Sure. Yep. And he's still a moron. <laughs> so mm. it's like you said, this is a very good way of showing that even it's not like just the general huxes of of the world or of the galaxy that are dumb or or incompetent. It's everywhere, and that's why the empire fails. Amongst other things. They're, yeah. So they're staffed by idiots and everything they get accomplished, they get accomplished through fear. That's why. It's not people that are good at what they do telling other people what to do. It's people that other people fear telling other people what they do. And it's a very important distinction. Yeah. No, it, it does a great job uh, to sort of build build into the understanding of why the Empire is what the Empire is. It's kind yeah. of weird that you see it after the Empire has fallen. But um, one other thing I'd like to bring up, because we have not mentioned it yet, but I think it's really important to where this series is going and why Bo-Katan has shown up. But uh, she directly asks the captain of the freighter where the Darksaber is. Yeah. Um, and we saw the Darksaber last at the end of Season 1, uh, Chapter 8. And we know that Moff Gideon has it. And yeah. so the captain basically says, bitch, you already know where it is. Um, and so now there's that larger plot piece going on. Gideon's looking for baby Yoda, but Gideon also has something that Bo-Katan and her friends want. So it's a nice little touch. Uh, the other nice little touch I enjoyed was the captain, you know, doing the standard Hail Hydra death sequence where he kills himself. But instead of it being, you know, um, a sauna capsule or poison, it is like an electric shock. And it almost gives you like shades of like Palpatine electrocuting power unlimited, you know, um, Mace window before he kills him or Anakin kills him. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know how I feel about that. Like I like the scene and I think it's cool, but I don't know if it makes sense for an officer to have a like a suicide tooth or whatever it was just because why would he have that just so he doesn't get captured yes but why like is it a new thing for the for the like the empire remnants to have that now because i'm sure the empire didn't have that before it makes no sense why empire is the ruling body why are you sure the empire didn't have that before because it doesn't make any sense. Well, it's not that I'm sure that they didn't have it before. I'm just saying it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why it's not it... a big deal. No, but... but the whole purpose of it is to show that there are people who are fanatical about their belief towards the Empire. I understand that. And and I guess it makes more sense now that the Empire isn't the ruling body of the galaxy. To you know, They don't want to be captured because whatever plans those remnant people have, they don't want anybody to find out. So I'm just like, I wasn't 
I'm not 100% behind that, but I, I get where they're coming from. And it is a cool scene. I like that it's not a cyanide capsule, like you said. Like it's a, it's a te- technological quote unquote thing. You that, pick that, really weird things to be annoyed about. I wasn't annoyed. It was just shows. not sure how I felt about Fuck you. <laughs> like what? Uh, <laughs> it's like the guy, like I've seen guys suicide themselves, like in fucking Captain America, the Hydra guy, like Hale Hydras and kills himself. Did you get mad at that one? No, because that makes what, whatever. You know why, what? Why did it make sense for him, but not for this captain? Because Hydra is a secret society. Yeah, and these guys are following off Gideon around, not the Empire. Fair enough. I just wish they were, you know, a little bit more of a reasoning why. But it's it's a small thing. It's not. It doesn't bother me. It's just, I was just like, when I saw it, I was like, huh? Does that make sense? I don't know. Yes, you're wrong. It makes sense. Let's move yeah. on. Fine. Be that Do you way. have any other points for episode or episode three slash uh, chapter eleven? Well, yeah, one last thing. I, I really liked how it they showed that Bo-Katan's Mandalorians are definitely a unit. In when they fight, they fight together and like they play off of each other, like like they know what the other person is going to do. Whereas Mando is sort of like he's the, he's doing his thing, but he's definitely not fighting like along with them. He's fighting the same enemies, but it, it, they do a very good job just from the physicality of it to show that. Bo-Katan and the other two, whose names now uh, fail me, uh, they've been fighting together for a long time. They're, they're like a unit of combat, not just random people together, and that Mando doesn't fit in. So I really like the way that they choreographed those scenes in a way to make it believable that like they wouldn't just know how to fight together right away, Mando and them. I mean, I really like that. No, it is is a nice touch to see like the three of them working together the same way you saw when I guess what we now know is the children of the watch show up and and lay waste to the droid army to save Mando. Uh, yeah. Same same sort of deal. Um, just to help you there, your teammates are Cosca Reeves and Axe Wolves. Cosca uh, oh, Reeves okay. is yeah. played by Mercedes uh, Varnado, and Mercedes is actually a WWE uh, wrestler. Yes. She has a, she goes by a different like stage name, but yes, yeah, she's um, badass as, as fuck as well. Yeah, Alex Wolves, he's just an actor. I don't know anything about him. <laughs> I looked it up. He's been he, in stuff. Yeah, and he he doesn't show up again. Actually, when when they show no. up again, it's just her and Costca Reeves. Yeah, Costca Reeves. I wonder if she's like related to Christopher. Yes, Christopher Reeves is alive in the Star Wars universe. Hey, I like that. On to, on to episode four, a.k.a. chapter 12. Yes. So chapter 12 uh, starts, you know, with um, the Razor Crest being the piece of shit that it is and needing more repairs. And so Mando takes him, him uh, the, the ship and, and the baby back to uh, Navarro to not only get it fixed, but to get try to get some help from Kara, Dune, and Griff Karga again. And while it's being repaired, the you know they show him what they like. They, they've basically redone Navarro. They cleaned it up. It's it's a much. It looks like it like even visually looks like a much cleaner, much more like open space. It doesn't seem so seedy like it was before, and. Um, as they they show him around, they show him that the the place where they had that standoff with uh, Moff Gideon the last time 
it became a school. And this is where we see the C3 uh, droid that you wanted to talk about, that I'm sure you're going to mention it later, Matt. And uh, and then basically what happens is uh, they say they will help, or while they're helping Mando with Razorcrest, uh, at no charge. Griff Carga continues to be a fucking swindler. Let me just say this. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, we'll help. Only the best for you. But, you know, since you're waiting, you want to help us with the mission? And I don't. I have a beef about Grief Cargo's ability to be a negotiator that I will bring up after you finish this because okay. in, in general, he's fucking awful at it. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, I get where you're coming from and I totally agree. And um, so basically the mission is there is one last Imperial base on Navarro. And according to Grief Cargo, that's the last remnant of the empire that there is. And if they can take away the base, Navarro will be a safe place. They can be a, hub i guess for for trade and that kind of stuff sure guys that's yeah i i was like huh but you know let me just finish and we'll go at it we'll get at it right and so they go to the base and the base it seems like it's supposed to be some sort of like a refinement or refinery base or something like that when in in truth they find out that dr pershing from first season who wanted baby yoda was there and they they do some sort of a, of an experiment and, and Cara Dune says it herself. This is not just a base. This is a lab, and they find out a little bit more about why uh, the Empire or the remnants of the Empire are after Baby Yoda, and it is because they are running some sort of experiment with his blood being um, force sensitive, as he obviously is, as we all know. Um, they talk about M count. Um, I'll leave that comment for later, but it it, it bothered me a little bit. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, I'm going to take it right now. They know that calling them midichlorians is the dumbest fucking thing in the world, so they didn't want to say the name in this episode. Yeah, yeah, but they still alluded to it, but whatever. It's better than saying midichlorians, I fully agree. Let's leave it at that. I, I, I like that they just say, you know, this just a way of measuring how much of the force he's sensitive to. It, it, it exists in the world. You can't just... You can't, you can't undo it, it now. So, yes, yeah. you can't undo it now. So yeah. you have to use it. Um, and so we find out that that's why they want Baby Yoda for his blood. And, and apparently they're doing some sort of experiment where they're trying to inject the blood into some, you know, basically trying to make people force sensitive, like by brute force. Um, and so they they decide to destroy the base as they had planned to do anyway. Uh, and now they have even more reason because they... You know, they just want that thing gone. And they destroy the base. They escape. They've pursued on some mining vessel or mining um, uh, vehicle. I don't by... think a mining vehicle, but I could be wrong because it shows up later, right? Maybe. Yeah, well, they, 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 have, they find this vehicle. They escape being pursued by TIE fighters, which is a really cool scene. Uh, of them running away from the TIE Fighters and, and Griff Kaga being terrible at shooting him. <laughs> um, and they return. <clears throat> they're able to... Um, they're able to kill one of them. And as they go into an open field, then you're like, okay, they have no cover anymore. They're going to get destroyed. Mando sweeps in with the repaired Razor Crest, blows them to smithereens. Really cool fighting scene with him like using gravity and all that shit to... to to fight and 
um, <clears throat> they basically, you know, they return to town and they uh, they leave to Corvus finally, as you said, you know, that, that was their objective to go find the Jedi because Mando, this is something we haven't mentioned, but like Mando's whole uh, purpose is to find uh, Baby Yoda's people, which he, he's told by the Emperor that they are Jedi who have the same power that he has. So he's trying to find a Jedi to train at least or take Baby Yoda as part of their people. So that's what they're going to Corvus for. Um, but we find out that at the end that one of the people repairing the ship as it shows in the beginning puts a tracker on his ship so that the, the, the Moff Gideon can follow him. So that's basically what, what, uh, what the synopsis is. No, that's a, it's a, that you nailed it all. Um, I would just like to highlight here, this is the first episode um, that isn't including the directors from last season. Carl Weathers actually directs this episode. Which you know. um, actually, uh, chapter nine or ten is also directed by someone who isn't. Is Peyton Reed? He didn't direct any in the first first no, season. No, no. Yeah. As far as I know, no. It was it was Ty, Taika Waititi, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, Dave Filoni, and Ray. And I never remember the guy's last name. Rick from Rick Muria from Muria, yes, and, yeah, and so. Dipper Chow. Yeah, so here we get the first episode is of second season is actually directed by John Favreau himself. Yeah. And we get Bryce Dallas Howard back. Uh, Carl Weathers directed this one, you're right. And we get Peyton Reed as well. Yeah. And just because I don't know why you just didn't do it in order, Peyton Reed does The Passenger, which is chapter 10, and Bryce Dallas Howard does The Heiress, which is chapter yes, 11. Exactly. And this one is is uh, Carl Weathers himself. Yeah. Um. So, so at a really high level, um, this is a fun episode. I have the least amount of notes for it because it's it's pretty much just a go blow for base and run away mission. I don't think mm-hmm. there's a lot to talk about here um, in terms of like it's it's not sorry it's, it's there's a lot to talk about, but it's not a a deep plot, <laughs> if you will. No, it's no, pretty it's straightforward. very straightforward. Yes, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So I'm just gonna get into it right now. If Luke built C3PO, sorry, not Luke. If Anakin built C3PO from scratch. How the fuck are there other C-3PO bots in the world? My theory is that <laughs> that the robot corporation sells a build-your-own-robot kit, and they all look like C-3PO's. Uh, my theory is, I think, a little bit less far-fetched. It's, you know, he built C-3PO with parts of robots that already existed. That's how. Because if you remember, C-3PO is, is a protocol droid and, and the Empire has protocol droids that look similar to him. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, I guess mm-hmm. he built C-3PO with spare parts, but he's still basing it off of something that already existed. I'm going to go with build your own robot kit, but you know, to each their own. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, you're entitled to your wrong opinion. It's, it's not wrong. It's 100% accurate. You can't prove I'm wrong, therefore I'm right. So I really <laughs> okay. enjoyed Baby Yoda. <laughs> Just get a gloss over that. I really enjoyed Baby Yoda for stealing the macarons, aka space cookies, from that kid. Yeah, it was just really hilarious that he like steals them and's eating them, and it's like basically like looks at the kid like, "Yeah, what are you gonna do about it?" Uh, it was like I asked you for one, you didn't give me one. So what? You, what? What's it to you, bitch? Yeah. <laughs> um, more a bigger question, or maybe a more serious question is. How big is Navarro? Like, is it a tiny ass planet? Like that the, they show that sort of map. I, I I love how they map old technology into into Mandalorian, but I can't tell how thing, far things are from when they show them on maps and they zip around. I have no concept of size of these planets. 
let's see if it says here. It doesn't say it on the on the Wikipedia. Just guess, you coward! Like, why do you have to look it up on the internet? Because I, you asked how much it was. I guess if there was information, but there isn't. I think it's small, like Elam. I would say. Yeah. So like Elam a, is like, really small. It's, it's like a, the moon. Size of a moon. Yeah. yeah. I'm guessing it's small because there was just the one city, and then the rest is like lava plains. Yeah, apparently the lava moves in like water, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and and to that point, I'm just like, why would anybody want to make their fucking trade hub a lava planet? Like, like. Well, I mean, that's very easily explained by, you know, where it is in, in the trade lanes. Okay, so you're fine with the making a lava planet uh, the trade hub because it's in the trade lanes. But a zealous captain can't electrocute himself to death. Yeah. I'm glad you understand it. Yeah, all right, you're insane. Um, <laughs> and I just want to point out the Imperial base. I love their classic Imperial craftsmanship of making sure you fail every OSHA rule possible. Yeah. Just no nothing to keep anybody safe ever. No, like the control panel being on a ledge that they can barely put your feet on. Yeah. It's, it's 100% pristine vintage empire. Yeah, and it's like, like... <laughs> it's like, it's not even like it's, it's on a pillar that you can reach when you come out of the door. You have to go all the way around that very narrow ledge to get to the other side to turn it off or on. Because why not? No, and, and the Empire never heard of the concept of guardrails. Like every single bridge that spans a, a chasm or a chasm, it's, <laughs> yes, always, it's always narrow and yep. it has no guardrails. But it's got a light blinking on it just to let you know you might fall off. Yeah, like... Like even in the ships, right? When, and we're gonna talk about this later. Like, yeah, there's a place on the ship cro crossing from one place to another, and for some reason, there's a hole to outer space. No, you know, let's make it as narrow as possible with no protection. Just, just be sure. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to point out here for me that I really enjoyed was the the escape, the escape scene where they're driving in that trooper transport. And Grief is trying to shoot, you know, shooting down the speeder bike guys is one thing that's easy. And then the TIE fighters show up. I thought, you know, it really highlights how creepy TIE fighters can sound. Like yeah. in space, no one cares. But when you hear like four <laughs> TIE fighters humming in and that, that weird whining creepy sound. sound. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just in a tiny little transport ship with one gun. So like, I thought that was really well done. Um, and and I, the last thing I will say that I liked is... It was really nice to see that not everybody's just rolling around in Star Destroyers. When we see Moff Gideon at the end, he is on. You know, it's obviously like got the same sort of design style as Star Destroyers, but it's clearly not a Star Destroyer. It's not a big ship. It's more like a Corvette-sized ship. Yeah, they and call it a, a a Star Cruiser or something like that. Sure. Yeah, it was just nice to see that like the Empire's been fucked up, so it's not like the Moff has like giant ships at his disposal. It, it's it's good to set that level of power. Um, yeah. and, and I really enjoyed the fun foreshadowing for the Cylons that we're going to see later on in, in the series. Cylons. They actually do look like Cylons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's okay. We got, uh, we got Starbuck on our side. We're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we'll talk about this next time. But yeah, um, I really liked something that, that you mentioned, you know, seeing the TIE fighters chase like a tiny, basically a tiny transport ship with like two guns, one forward and one back, right? And I really like Mandalorian does this very well is putting these iconic uh, like ships and, and vehicles and, and other things in situations we've never seen them before. So, you know, like TIE fighters 
we've seen TIE fighters fight in space. We've seen TIE fighters fight in planets with other ships. But, you know, them just trying to chase down a smaller craft on like a, a canyon. And, and it's, it's, it makes, again, it, it fleshes out the, um, the universe so much better. The games do a really good job of this too, some of them. Sure. We're put, putting, you know, familiar things in unfamiliar contexts. And I think, I just think that out of everything that we've watched um, uh, from Star Wars, certainly after Disney took over, The Mandalorian by far is the best at, at making things feel um, real. Not real, but like feeling like they're not just there for show. <laughs> they're believable. Yeah. yeah. It, it helps with suspension of disbelief. Let's put it this way. It's like I believe that those ships exist as ridiculously made out of cardboard as they are, and they are. Sure, it feels like a like a well placed spit will will break a Tie Fighter. <laughs> yeah, that that's I mean that's very fair. Yeah, and like I I really like seeing that all is right in the world, which means Gina Carano continues to badly act, and Kyle Rogers continued to overact. So I was like, oh, okay. The world is the same place. I'm okay with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I was just going to say one thing that I liked in this episode that I'm, I'm not sure you caught because I don't think you played the game as much is there's a really cool Easter egg for Jedi Fallen Order, the game. Um, the walls on that base, when they're not like the obviously metal constructed walls, it's just like the, the cavern walls. They have this striated patterns on them. And this is on on um, Fallen Order. This is how you know you can walk on those walls. So like it's exactly the same. It's a really cool like callback. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's really really cool. I like those touches they do. So let me ask you this question because I alluded to it earlier, and I got a I got a. It's not even a question, but like, does Grief Cargo know how to negotiate? And I ask this because we find out that um, the bounty from the very first chapter, episode one, that. Mandalore caught has my been, uh, yeah, sorry, my thrall. You said my thrall, my thrall. Yeah. So my thrall has been released from Carbonite, and he's working off his debt to Grief Karka as a sort of hacker accountant. They don't get too detailed into it, and he comes along for the ride with them, and and he keeps balking at doing all his work for Grief Karka, and. <laughs> I think they quoted that he had 375 or 385 years to work off yeah. of his sentence. And I just, I don't understand because grief, like he complains about having to drive out there and grief knocks off a hundred years, which seems like a lot. I don't know. Um, and then he complains a bit more and he, about something that's like nonsense and he knocks off another 30 years. And it's just like, well, how does that compare? Like the first knockoff is like, I don't want to be out here. I'm going to die. And the second knockoff is like, I have to sit here and wait for you guys. No, I have to open the door and I'll knock off 30 more years. And then he doesn't want to come with them. And he's like, I'll kill it. Like, I'll, how about I just let you die out here? I don't like the level of, of his like ramp up and ramp down of like what his offers are and what he gives them to do things just does not make sense to me at all. So that is the only part of that episode that is really like very contrived. It's like what what would what would it be like? So they hop off from from uh, his speeder or his like little ship, right? From Mitro's ship. There, all the three of them jump off of the ship first. Why didn't he just turn around and leave? Yeah, the speed the the speeder car. 
Yeah, he could have. Like, yeah, you know, he owes. Well, I mean, Amanda would blah, just blah, blah, blah. chase him down and fucking murder him. Probably he doesn't want to yeah, die. But like the the, the to, to my point is like there's a lot of like he gets put in positions where he could fuck them all up if he wanted. And and the way that Griff Karga deals with that is by threatening him and like it's almost like he's his negotiation he's negotiating with like someone who has a unique set of skills that he has some sort of like a blackmail on him. Yeah. And exactly. he's like, Oh, if you don't yeah, if you do this for me, I won't blackmail you about this thing, or I won't you know, I'll knock off this much from your debt. Like what? How does that what the fuck? It would be it, better if he like from the Bounty Hunters Guild and negotiating how much he would pay for every bounty and shit. Yeah, that's my thing, right? Like, it would be better if, if he had have just, like, nickel and dimed him on everything he did. Like, he complains about having to do clerical work. It's like, if you do it, I'll knock off like, five years of your sentence. And if you do this, I'll knock off ten. Like, just, like, little bits and pieces. But the jump to a hundred and then, like, the scaling is all weird. Like, Drive us out here, we'll knock off twenty years. Like, that sort of thing I would be more on board with because he's just, like, he's, like, he's just sprinkling it out there, right? But when he does a hundred of the hundred or 300 years, it's just like, that's a lot for just to drive you out somewhere and like to park and wait. Like you didn't mention he has to go up and maybe get killed. Like if that was part of the whole thing, then maybe, but it's just, it doesn't make sense. Right. And then you're like, well, this guy was in charge of the bounty hunters guild on this, the planet. And he's supposed to like pay people and negotiate with them. Like does Mando feel like an idiot for negotiating the fucking calamari flan based on watching grief cargo fail to negotiate with this guy? I know I would like it would have made much more sense in this case if if the scale was like oh he has to work for like fifty years to pay me, and then you know he says okay you're coming with us and I'll knock ten years off for like right but like we don't know how long his his um, lifespan is for yeah yeah and and by the way one thing that I didn't know and I really liked is he's played by Horatio Sands from from SNL he he's really funny like he's a really funny character. Um, but, but like, it's, it's sort of a waste in that sense, because it's like, he just gets bullied by, by, by Griff Karga all the way. And he's scared, obviously of, you know, everybody there basically. Um, and it's, yep. it's, it kind of, instead of it making it show like Griff Karga was like, yeah, you got, you had done something bad and I'm letting you work off your debt. It's just like, no, I have something to hold over your head and now I'm going to be a, just a bully to you and, and make you do whatever I want by randomly naming how many years I'm going to knock off of your fucking debt. Like it's weird. Yeah. The, the context of the years is missing. I think that's the key, right? As you pointed yeah. out, it's like, I don't know how long you live, but 300 years seems like a lot, but then you knock off a third of it in one thing, which is just driving you somewhere. Like just, it doesn't yeah. make sense. It's it, if the, the, the length of time was a little bit more under control, I think it would have made more sense and not like do it twice or three times. It's like, no, we need you to do this thing for us or with us the whole duration. And if if we come back here in one piece with you having helped, I'll knock off this many years. Yeah. Not like just like spitballing time frames, you know? Like, yes, that's yeah. exactly what it is. And then if it's like, I want you to do something extra, then it's like a couple more years get knocked off. That would make yeah. complete sense. And it also never explained why he had to be the one to go into the OSHA totally OSHA compliant panel there to to turn like it just seemed like he was looking at gauges and pushing things up like anybody could have done that well I think it's dangerous so you send the guy you are willing uh, to maybe okay of. that makes sense but like it's like like you said like why why is the empire so unconcerned I understand they don't they think life is cheap 
But like at some point you're going to be, oh shit, I have to fix this thing. And if I don't do it right now, it's going to explode. But then someone falls off because there's no protection. And then everything explodes because of that. Like it's There's just it's, no reason to put the panel away from the entrance, away from like any sort of like, like that pillar, that beam they have to go to. It's on the opposite side of that. And I just don't understand why it needs to be there. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Like I don't, I get not having a railing, but like, why do I have to go around the other side and put my back to the dangerous part to do my job? Yeah, while standing on like a barely there ledge. Yeah, like make the ledge huge, like or not. Like I don't, I don't know. This is it's expensive to be the empire, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, um, do you uh, do you want to add anything else? We're kind of running on time here. No, I'm satisfied. Um, at a high level, I'd say all these four episodes were very enjoyable. I think you know, comparing season one to season two so far, I think season two is, it doesn't have to worry about telling you who the Mando is. So it can get really into the world building and adding friends and acquaintances and building out that sort of like party for Mando. And I think it was really fun and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say the same. I think it feels a lot more cohesive because they don't have to worry so much about kind of laying down details about backstory or personality like we know these characters already, the ones that matter anyway. And and they do a good job of like, okay, now that we have all of that all the way, let's just push the story forward. And and they do it in a way that is is not too fast, it's not too slow, which it can be also um <clears throat> very like it can be too fast as well, right? Like when the action is just too much action, you kind of stop uh caring about it, I guess. And they they don't fall into that sort of like pitfall, right? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm in, I, I enjoy, like, I, I'm going to speak as if I didn't watch the rest. I'm enjoying it so far. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say things as if I didn't sit down and watch all the fucking thing in one sitting. Yeah, no, you definitely would. That's that. the sort of maniac that I am. Yeah, no, only crazy people would do that. Yeah, of course. Like <laughs> who would do that? Um, but yeah, it's really, it was, it was really enjoyable to get back to, to the series. And, <clears throat> um, I, I think one thing that shows is that they're more, much more comfortable. They felt like the previous season they were very sort of like tentatively doing things. And it feels like they have a bit more of a handle on what actually works versus what they don't care too much about. And so they leave it aside. And it's made for a much more cohesive whole, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. All Well, that's all the time we have. Um, like we say that like we didn't just waste an hour and 20 minutes talking about <laughs> Mandalorian. We, we didn't waste, we spent it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And you all just spent a very enjoyable hour and 23, 24 minutes listening to us talk about the Mandalorian because you become more educated and you got to enjoy, you know, continue to enjoy something you love. So that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, I'm um, finding out where you're wrong so you can correct yourself. Yeah, exactly. Making yourself a better person. Um, yes. If if you think we missed something that, that would help other people be a better person, uh, we didn't. But, you know, you can try to point out areas. Uh, please feel free to email us at yourwrongcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you can spell you are correctly, then, you know, you're on the first right step to getting that email to us. Uh, otherwise, uh, for now, I'm Matt. And I'm Luciano. And we'll uh, talk to you next time. Just remember that uh, we're going to be right and you're going to be wrong. But that's okay because we're here to educate you to, to make you less wrong in the future. We'll see you next time.